Oh. I've watched that so many times and it makes me We um, we have this phrase that we um, that you might have seen out in our lobby. It's right over there, and it says, "Every number has a name, and every name has a story, and every story matters to God." Amen. And I don't know if you feel like your story doesn't matter today. Um, I'm I just want you to hear boldly with every bit of confidence and Holy Spirit anointing I can muster, it does. It matters dearly to a gracious, loving, intimate, and holy God who's come down to be with us, to reside in our hearts, to save us, to rescue us, and to free us into new life. Do you believe in that today? Man, I am, I am so excited to share from you from God's word, but I'm telling you this, today I'm gonna be sharing about my uncle who just recently got baptized at the age of 66. He might be tuning in this morning. Yeah, you can celebrate that. He might be, and, and my aunt and my uncle, my uncle Bill, my aunt Sherry, um, just two weeks ago, um, we baptized them while we were on vacation on Kelly's Island in Lake Erie. And um, Lake Erie became really holy. And I don't know, some, some of you are like, Lake Erie's dirty and stuff. Yeah. So, but it became really, really special in that moment. And if you're watching online, um, Uncle Bill, Aunt Sherry, I love you. Um, I'm proud of you. And what God's been doing in your life. Um, and we believe in you. Amen. God believes in you. We, we believe in you, right? We believe in the power of God to change lives around here. Baptisms at the lake are coming up. It's probably one of my favorite. I, I mean, it feels almost trite to call it an event, but it's much more than, a, than an event. It's this holy moment. Jason talked even as we were going into communion uh, this morning that these are two of the sacraments universally accepted and practiced in the church. All kinds of denominations, all kinds of affiliations. In the Catholic Church, there's seven sacraments, but in the Protestant Church and really, and within the Catholic Church, there are these two that we practice and it's communion or the Lord's Supper and it's baptism. They were ordinances. Jesus commanded them. He called us to do likewise. Matthew 28, he said, go and make disciples of all nations. What are we supposed to do? baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey all that I've taught you. And even then, I'm, I'm with you to the end of the age. Jesus commanded it. In, in 1 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians, in the, in the epistles, we see these, uh, the, the, the new believers in the early church taking part in communion, these ordinances. Today, I wanna to share with you about baptism. And before you check out, maybe you're like, I've already been baptized, so why did I actually come? Please, listen, I want you to hear Jesus' story of baptism. So this is Jesus' baptism. We're actually gonna cover all four uh, gospels. And I want you to listen afresh 
to what happens in Jesus' baptism that happens also in our baptisms, that, that what, what God does in us and through us in this sacred sacrament of baptism. Um, so we're gonna be covering Matthew chapter one, or I mean, Matthew chapter three, Mark chapter one, Luke chapter three, and John chapter one. Talking about baptism today. Matthew chapter three, then Jesus came from Galilee to the Jordan to be baptized by John. But John tried to deter him saying, I need to be baptized by you. And do you come to me? Could you imagine me and John the Baptist? And Jesus, the son of God, incarnate flesh deity comes to you to be baptized in a baptism of repentance. This is all backward, isn't it? You're like, What's happening? John's like arguing with Jesus. He's like, tries to deter him. You come to me, Jesus replied, let it be so now it is proper for us to do this to fulfill all righteousness. Then John consented. As soon as Jesus was baptized, he went up out of the water. And at that moment, heaven was opened. And he saw the spirit of God descending like a dove and alighting on him. And a voice from heaven said, this is my son whom I love with him. I am well pleased. Mark chapter one says something similar. I want you to kind of take note of differences and similarities. These are different perspectives of the same event from different authors. It'd be like getting together with some friends and you're telling a story about what happened last year at a party. And you're like, hey, do you, oh, do you remember this part? Well, actually this, I remember this happened. And so they're telling this story and it's so important for them that they all include it in their gospel. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Mark, Chapter one, verse nine, at that time, Jesus came from Nazareth in Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. Just as Jesus was coming up out of the water, he saw heaven being torn open and the spirit descending on him like a dove and a voice came from heaven. You are my son whom I love and with you, I'm well pleased. At once the spirit sent him into the wilderness and he was in the wilderness 40 days being tempted by Satan. He was with the wild animals and angels attended him. We didn't go on to Matthew chapter four, but in Matthew chapter four, Jesus goes into the wilderness, into the desert. He's tempted by Satan. Luke chapter three, the third gospel. When all the people were being baptized, Jesus was baptized too. And as he was praying, heaven was opened and the Holy Spirit descended on him in bodily form like a dove. And a voice came from heaven, you are my son whom I love, with you I am well pleased. Now Jesus himself was about 30 years old when he began his ministry. Do you feel like you're too old to be baptized? Jesus was not too old to be baptized. He's 30, right before he started his ministry. He was consecrated in the temple. He would have been circumcised on the eighth day. He had all of, this, all of the rites, all of the things that were done for him as a child. And yet he chose at the age of 30, right at the onset of his ministry to be baptized right before his ministry at the age of 30. John chapter one, John is always different. <laughs> so he just... It is the most unique of the gospels. There's stories that happen in some, in, in, in some of the gospels that don't happen in the others. John's is the most unique of the gospels. The next day, John saw Jesus 
coming toward him. And he said, look, the lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. He's referring back to the Old Testament. He's referring actually to, to, uh, to Passover, what we took for communion. He's referring to this Old Testament uh, rite and ritual of sacrifice, the sacrificial system. He's like, that's the one, that's the lamb that's gonna do it once and for all. He says, there's the lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This is the one I meant when I said, a man who comes after me has surpassed me because he was before me. That's a mind bender right there. He, the one comes, he's coming after me, but he surpassed me because he was before me. And you're like, what? Doesn't make any sense. So because earlier in the book of John, in John chapter one, it starts this way. In the beginning was the word and the word was God and the word was with God. He was in the beginning. And he's talking about Jesus, the word made flesh. He's like, he was there in the beginning, but then he came he entered, and he came and he was before me and he's above me and he's behind me. It's almost like St. Patrick's prayer, Christ before me, Christ behind me, Christ beneath me, Christ in everyone who thinks about me, Christ in everyone who speaks about me, Christ in every thought, Christ in every action, Christ before, behind, all over. Yes. So John is saying here, a man who comes after me has surpassed me because he was before me. I myself did not know him, but the reason I came baptizing with water was that he might be revealed to Israel. Then John gave this testimony. I saw the spirit come down from heaven as a dove. What is with the dove? And remain on him. And I myself did not know him, but the one who sent me to baptize with water told me the man on whom you see the spirit come down and remain is the one who will baptize with the Holy Spirit. I've seen and I testify that this is God's chosen one. This is the Christ chosen one is Christ or Messiah, the anointed one. I, I wanna, I, as I've been picturing Jesus' baptism, uh, we have things like the chosen. This is actually from the series, uh, The Son of God. And this is John the Baptist baptizing Jesus. And John the Baptist here is depicted with dreadlocks. John would probably have had dreadlocks. I mean, he wore like burlap and ate locusts and honey. Who has ever dipped locusts and honey and thought it was a good snack? Is anyone out there? Are you that weird? I hope not, okay? This is John the Baptist baptizing Jesus in the Jordan. Baptism. Baptism is this word in Greek. It's actually a word that's not even translated. It's transliterated. It's, they didn't have a better word for it, so they just took the Greek word and they were like, we're just gonna use that. We're gonna just make that. The word is baptizo. Baptism. Uh, the word first shows up in written history in about 200 BC from a philosopher and a poet and uh, a physician. His name was Nicander. I could be butchering his name. I, I'm sorry if I am. A Greek poet and physician and philosopher who lived around 200 BC. And he was writing not about this rite of being baptized and being dunked underwater for a human. He was writing um, about a recipe <laughs> to make pickles. <laughs> I'm dead serious. Who likes pickles in here? Come on, pickle fans. Who hates pickles? Ben and some others. Jeez. And what he's writing is talking about how, uh, how pickles would be dipped or submerged, dunked 
actually bab- baptizo can actually mean drown. It's like, which I love the picture of that because the picture, um, the symbolism for Christians for 2000 years is we are being, we are dying to self. We're being, we're drowning, killing the old self, being raised to new life. Baptizo is this dunking, this submerging. You know what happens to a pickle when it's submerged in vinegar? It changes. Or a cucumber when it's submerged into vinegar, it changes. It turns into a pickle. It doesn't go back to the old thing. Cucumbers are lame anyway, you know? (laughs) Pickles are where it's at. And uh, in all four of these gospels, we didn't read this part of the text, but it it says in, in the text that Jesus comes to the Jordan. He comes from Galilee to the Jordan. And John, right, the precursor for all of this is that John is going around the land and he's preaching a baptism of repentance. He's preaching a baptism of repentance. And, and actually in one of the gospels, it, it gives like some dialogue and someone comes up to John. He's like, well, what should I do? He's like, stop extorting people. He's like, and another person comes up, well, what should I do? And stop cheating people. Stop, stop manipulating, stop doing, stop taking advantage. Stop doing that. It seems really simple, but that's really one definition even of repentance. It's like, you stop that way you stop that trajectory and you turn. John is preaching repentance for the people of Israel. Because if you've read your Old Testament ever, you realize Israel, they were messed up. They kept going back to the same old stuff, the same old things that didn't work, the same old broken cisterns as one of the prophets says, broken cisterns, broken idols that don't work and they keep coming back to them and they don't work. And so John's coming, he's like, repent, turn back to Yahweh, turn back to the Lord. And Jesus comes and does like, does Jesus need to repent? No. He doesn't need to repent. What he's doing for us is he's becoming like us. I love, I love this part of scripture, even in Philippians chapter two, where it talks about Jesus emptying himself, coming to earth. This is the incarnation of God. Emmanuel, God with us. He steps into human form. Did he need to be baptized because he had sinned? No, he hadn't sinned, but he's doing for us what he wants us to then do now. John's baptism was of repentance and renewal. Repentance church starts with confession. Does anyone like to confess that they've done wrong? The answer is no. Okay, no one loves that. Okay, just think back to your last argument with your best friend, your accountability partner, your spouse, whomever, okay, think back to, and they called you out on something. They got all up in your grill. They said, hey, I think you're wrong here. And what did you do? (sighs) Thank you. I really, I loved that. This is the best. No one does that. Confession is, it's not fun, but it's essential to repentance. It's essential, it's essential for us to see our sin, our state rightly and be like, I confess, God, I have sinned. I've done wrong. I've not upheld all of your law, all of your standard. In Romans, Paul writes it this way, all have sinned and fall short of the glory or the standard of God. All of us, 
confession. It moves, repentance also includes contrition. It's not just I've done wrong, it's I feel godly sorrow for wrong. Psalm 51, David writes, he actually says, a a broken and contrite heart, God, you won't despise. He's not only confessed his sin with the prophet Nathan, but he's also now he feels godly sorrow over his sin. Repentance is not just feeling bad for your sin and admitting your sin. It's now conversion. It's conversion. You know what conversion means? I mean, you can, if you convert a file, what do you do? You change the file. If you convert a person, what do you do? You change the person. Your personhood is changed. It's not that you keep living over in this state. If that's it, you don't have repentance. Repentance has with it also turning from the sin that you feel sorrowful over and you're turning to God. It's conversion and repentance leads to communion. This union, this community, this conversation, this relationship with God Almighty. This is amazing. This is amazing. John is going, he's preaching throughout Israel this this baptism of repentance. Church, baptism is powerful. I think sometimes maybe here in the West, we, we miss just how, um, how powerful, how sacred, how special for 2000 years baptism has been. I don't really think they miss it over in the Middle East and in Eastern countries and Asia and Asia Minor and in the Middle East and even parts of Africa. What happens at baptism is like you're drawing a line in the sand and you're publicly telling everyone in your family, everyone in your community that you're now following Jesus. And what happens in, country, in countries like India where Hinduism is the predominant uh, religion is that if you wanna like Jesus and you kinda wanna, okay, that's, and it's personal and it's private, that's, okay, I don't, don't love it, but it's, it's so exclusive and they're polytheistic, have literally thousands, hundreds of thousands of different gods. And so they're like, well, I don't love the exclusivity of Jesus Um, But if it's just private, that's fine. Once you get baptized, families, people are literally excommunicated from their whole family in Hindu countries, in Islamic countries. Some are persecuted, some are put to death, some are put in jail, some they never hear from their family again. You see, here in the West, it might be something that we take lightly. Around the world, it's never something, it's never something that's taken lightly. There's gravitas too baptism. Baptism simply is this. We get a lot of questions about baptism and we have, Jason actually shared this. He's, he's over right now. He went over to be in the baptism class with, I think it was about 10 to 15 people in there right now. We have 17 people signed up. It might be more now. 70 people signed up to be baptized at the lake in about a month. Come on now. <clears throat> And just last week, get your hands ready again, okay? Just last week, we had 24 people accept Jesus into their heart as their Lord and Savior, declaring him to be the Lord of their life. Amazing. If that was you, if you were one of those 24, maybe you weren't even counted because you raised your hand like this. You're like, one of this, one of these. I know there's some of you out there that do it that way. That's okay. God sees you. God sees your heart. He sees your humility. He sees your confession of faith. I'm telling you, baptism is the next step. It's the next step. Going public with this private 
decision, this personal decision is now corporate, it's public. Baptism, we get a lot of questions about baptism. What does it mean? Why do we do it? Do I need to do it to be saved? I just wanna make sure that I'm going to heaven. I've had people in baptism class that I've led and they're like, well, I just wanna make sure you're going, I'm going to heaven. I'm like, that's not how you make sure you're going to heaven. And I've, we've had people get saved in baptism class. I mean, that's talking about amazing. Like, have you, that's, no, no, no. This is about, uh, this Romans 10 says, if you confess with your heart that Jesus is Lord, believe in your, or confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, then you will be saved, Amen. okay? It's about your heart posture, not about whether you were dunked in water, but it is an obedience thing. Why do we be, so we have all these questions. What does baptism mean? Baptism is an outward sign of an inward reality. 16 years ago on June 30th, I got married to the love of my life, Amy Bell. She was up here singing today, leading worship. I love being led in worship by my wife and by our worship team. It's just incredible. 16 years ago. And there was all this stuff in the ceremony, you know, we're lighting unity candles and there's the runner and the runner ripped because it was, it melted. Our runner melted in the car. It was in June in Indiana of that year and the whole runner. So people, the ushers are trying to pull the runner out. It's ripping. It was a total debacle, but the ceremony was amazing. And we do this, right? We exchange these rings. What does this mean? When you see someone with a ring right here, what does that mean? They're married. Now, if I take off my ring and I set it here, what happens? Did I cease to become married? I hope not. <laughs> if I give you this ring and you put it on, are you married to Amy? No, no, you wish, okay, no. Get your own wife, okay, she's mine, all right? No, this is a symbol. This is a symbol, of, like an outward symbol of an inward reality, what God has done. The covenant, this is a symbol of the covenant. The ba baptism is our new symbol of a covenant that we make with God. Amen. Do you have to be baptized to be saved? No. Case in point, thief on the cross. I love asking people who think that you gotta be baptized to be saved and asking them about the, the thief on the cross. They're like, I don't know. Maybe Jesus pulled the cross up and he dunks him in some water. No, Jesus wasn't like, time out, centurion, hold on. We need to remove the cross. We need to get that into some water because if we don't, he's not gonna be with me. No, Jesus literally tells him, today you will be with me in paradise. Do you have to be baptized to be saved? No. Should you be baptized? If you're a believer in Jesus, if you are a believer in Jesus, should you be baptized? And I'm just gonna say, absolutely, 100%. Yes, you should be. This isn't about your salvation, but this is about obedience. Why do we get baptized? Because Jesus told us to. Jesus told us to, he did it. And then he asked us to do likewise. So what happens, I wanna take the rest of the time, we're gonna talk about what happens to Jesus when he's baptized that I think happens to so many of us. Maybe not in the, in the literal way that it happens to Jesus, but I think God does a lot of the same things in baptism and in our confession, our public confession and declaration of faith that he did right here in Jesus' baptism. And I wanna cover some of the things that show up in each of the four gospels. The first is this, that heaven was open. So we talked about baptism and then heaven 
is opened up. Last week we talked, Jason preached about heaven. Tons of questions. You got tons of questions and emails about heaven. How do I know? What is, what is Abraham's bosom? What is paradise? When do I know? What about purgatory? All the, you know what happens? Heaven throughout scripture, especially in the Old Testament, when they talked about heaven, <clears throat> they talked about it as the seat or the, the living space of God, the throne of God. And so what you'll see in the Old Testament, you'll see some of the authors say things like, God, would you rend the heavens? Would you come down? Yeah. Because you're there and we need you here. And so what happens to Moses on Mount Sinai is he gets the law and he gets all of this description of how to build a house for God where God will dwell. And he builds this tabernacle and inside the tabernacle, there's another meeting space. And inside that meeting space, there's, a, there's another one. It's the most holy place. And that's the mercy seat of God. That's where God resides. He lives there. He's too holy to be let out. Heaven, what we see in baptism, we see this picture of heaven being opened up. There's two words here in the gospels that they use. The first is torn, torn, open. Torn in Greek is schizo, where we get schizophrenic, where you like you're divided. We also get schism from that, where you're divided, you're, you have a division. Torn is this, uh, this rendering, this cleaving, this cutting in two, this dividing. What, what, uh, the, what the authors are saying here is they see heaven being uh, the, the barriers between God and between man are being torn apart. They're being taken down. In Matthew chapter 27, Jesus breathes his last breath. And it says that the earth shook and the sky went dark. And you know what else it says? It says that the temple curtain, which re represents this barrier between us and the most holy God, what happens to the temple curtain? It's schizoed. It's the same word, the same thing. God wants to render. He wants to rend the heavens. He wants to rip the curtain. He wants to get out and get in us. Amen. This is what baptism represents. Torn open. I've got a dog. We had a dog about 10 years ago. His name was Barkley and he had separation anxiety. Anyone have any pets that have separation anxiety? He'd shut him in a room and if we left, he'd, to he'd literally tore apart doors. It was wild. And uh, we were outside. We were outside one day and the windows were open and Amy and I were just out in our yard. Okay, the dog was inside. He jumped through the screen tore through the screen because the window was open. So he didn't like bust through like glass, but he probably would have. And he bust through the window to get to us. I think this is, this is the picture. God is tearing open. He is getting at us. He wants to get to us. It's almost like God has separation anxiety with humanity. He tears open. This, next, this is the next word, it's open. And you know, this is real complicated. This word means open. Really, so it takes a scholar to learn this one. It's like a door. It's like, so it, it's, there's a barrier in front of the door. He's removing the barrier and then he's just opening the door. He's like, come on, come on in. Heaven was opened up. The spirit descended, descended like a dove. Why the dove? There's a couple of pictures 
or like Old Testament allusions to the dove. And the first that we see, it doesn't actually mention the dove at all, but in Genesis chapter one, it mentions language that references a bird. Genesis chapter one, and the people of Israel, when they hear, or when they see the spirit descend like a dove, they know the law. In fact, they, they, most of them have memorized the whole entire Pentateuch. And so they hear and they see, Genesis chapter one, uh, it goes like this, in the beginning, um, God created the heavens and the earth and God said, let there be light. And you know, all this part of the, and it says the earth was dark and formless and the spirit of God hovered over the water. Do you know what hovered means? It's like brooding. It's a bird word. It's like fluttering. The spirit's just fluttering over the water. Their minds are like, the spirit comes down on Jesus like a dove. Remember back when, Remember in the creation account when the spirit was this, it was this bird picture. He was fluttering over the chaos that was, and then life happened. You see, the spirit represents creation in the beginning in Genesis chapter one. And in baptism, the spirit represents recreation. If anyone is in Christ, they are a new creation, Paul says. The old is gone. Behold, the new is here, recreation. In Genesis chapter eight, Noah and the ark, you're familiar with Noah's ark, that whole story. Noah's on the ark. It's been a really long time. They're on the ark and they're on water and he's starting to wonder. I, I, this isn't in the text, but this is my imagination. I'm wondering what Noah's wondering is he's on this ark and there's no land in sight. Am I gonna be a sailor the rest of our life? Or when are we gonna run out of food? Uh, how, are, how is this gonna work? And so they send out a dove, the dove comes back, nothing. Sends out a dove again, comes back with an olive branch. And what, is what does the dove represent here in Genesis 8? It represents hope, represents salvation. But then we go to the Levitical law. Has, has anyone been reading Leviticus lately? It's like, that's on, your, it's on like your favorite top, top three, top five who loves Leviticus. Leviticus is full of rich imagery that points to Jesus and points to the spirit. And in Leviticus chapter one, they're talking, uh, Moses is talking about the sacrificial system and he's talking about all different kinds of animals that you can use. And he says in there, he says, two dirt, turtle doves. He says, two turtle doves. And he also writes in there a partridge in a pear tree. And it's amazing. No, he doesn't say that. <laughs> he doesn't. Well, he's got two turtle doves. It was right there. I had to take it. <clears throat> turtle doves. And uh, turtle doves were like the cheapest, like most inexpensive, most accessible animal that you could sacrifice with. In fact, in, in Leviticus chapter 12, Moses is writing about purification rites for a woman coming off of her menstruation, coming off of her period. And aren't you glad you don't live in the Old Testament anymore? So any ladies, amen, right? So they had to sacrifice animals in order to be clean again. And, um, and so it says in the text, it literally says they'll take a sheep, but if the woman can't afford a sheep, she can take doves wait a minute, you know what doves are? You know what the spirit represents? Accessibility to God for all. Accessibility to God for all. The Holy Spirit descends and he sticks with people. He sticks on you like 
like glitter. He can't get glitter off. We had arts week last week. We got glitter around here. You can't get it off. You just, it's there. He sticks with you, goes with you. He resides in you. He rests on you. And the last thing that happens in the text that I want to draw out today is that then we hear the spirit descends like a dove and we hear a voice, the father. This is one of the one of the moments in scripture, there's only a handful of them where we see the representation of the Trinity. Uh, the Mount of Transfiguration is another one and we see parts of it and in even creation account. But what we see here is that the father now says, what does he say? He says, you're my son whom I love and with you, I am well pleased. You are my son whom I love and with you I am well pleased. Does anyone need to hear the voice of God today? Speaking through all of the lies, all of the accusations. You know, the, the word Satan in Hebrew actually means the one who accuses or the, ad, the adversary, the one who's against. The voice of God comes and doesn't not predominantly speak against, he speaks for. Some of you need to hear this today, even in, in baptism, like what happens at baptism is now you are no longer all of the things that you've been called in your life. You're no longer your worst, like, like all the things in your closet that you don't want anyone to know about. You're no longer that decision to have an abortion 10 years ago, 15 years ago, 20 years ago. You're no longer all of the things that have identified you because of your sexuality, because of your divorce, because of your addiction. You are now a son or a daughter of the most high God. This, it trumps everything else. It trumps all of the other identities, all of the other things that you think that you are, all of the things that hold you back. God steps in and, and, and this representation in baptism, he steps in and he says, you are my son, you're my daughter. I love you. I love you. And with you, I'm well pleased. I remember my son one time, I told him I was proud of him and he was like, I don't understand why you're proud of me. I haven't even done anything good yet today. And it broke my heart. I was like, wait a minute, that's not grace. That's not the gospel. I, I, you know I love you and I'm proud of you in spite of whatever you do. This is the heart of the Father for us. Um, two weeks ago, I got to baptize with my dad. My dad's over here on the right. How does he have a full head of hair? in the world happened? My dad over here on the right, just recently retired from 45 years of full-time ministry, is still going around to different churches and is training young leaders and pastors for ministry. His heart is just, um, just so good for people and for the Lord. Uh, this right here in the middle, this is my Uncle Bill and my Aunt Sherry. I remember just so two weeks ago, they came up to Kelly's Island and, and uh, on Lake Erie and they shared on the beach. You can't see it, but the beach is right back over here. And um, they shared on the beach. Some, I, we asked questions like, what's led you to this? Like, and he's like, oh, I just, it's been long enough. I've been walking away. I've been walking my, a different path. I've been, 
you just, you wouldn't even believe it. And he, he calls me Jonathan, that's my full name. He said, Jonathan, you wouldn't even, now he calls me John the Baptist. <laughs> I, I'm not kidding. Yesterday on the phone, I was talking with them and hearing and sharing with them and telling, telling them, I'd love to share your story. Would you be comfortable with me sharing parts of your story? I said, any of it, all of it. I want people, I want people to know about the transformation that's happened in our lives. He said things like this, let them know how much God has changed our lives. This is the most beautiful spiritual moment I've ever had. He said things like this, when you connect with Jesus, you feel it. Anytime I'm in the presence of God, I can do nothing but cry. And, my, and I've had people ask me, well, why? And this is all very recent for him. He said, because I've never felt that kind of love. You see, my uncle, and he was sharing, I, I, I can't even get into the extent of his and my aunt's story, but my uncle has lived through hell. And um, some of that's been of his choosing and some of that's not been. And I was sitting on the beach with him and my dad and I were asking them questions about Jesus. And she was sharing about just recently being a part of Reiki, which is like a Eastern mystic um, kind of new age, super spiritual, um, not Christianity. And she was like, and I had some friends and they were Wiccan and witch and we were, and there's all this. And I felt like God was like, this isn't right. Like that was the Holy Spirit right there in the middle, yeah. right there in the middle of it. Yeah, right there in the middle of the laying of the energy and the laying on of hands and all this stuff that's not of God. So she's sharing that part of her story. And I asked Uncle Bill, I said, tell me what, what's God been doing? What's he, what's he saved you from? How has he, how has he shown up in your life? And he started going back decades where God just showed up. He told this story he said it was, uh, it was in the 80s. He said, and I just, I, I, was at, I was at the end. He said, when people talk about suicide and they use the word depression, it's just not, it's not even, it's not even a helpful word for it. It's way, he said, it's just way beyond depression. Depression doesn't even adequately describe when you're ready to end your life, when you think that no one could possibly miss you or care or, or you have no purpose. He's like, it's, it's desperation. Yes. And he's sharing about this with me. He said, so I, I went home and I went to my room and I got, uh, I went home to my grandparents' house and <clears throat> he's like, I got a Colt 45 and I loaded it with seven bullets. And he said, I, and I tried all seven. He said, I cocked it, click. Cocked it and discharges. And he said he, he did it seven times. I'm like, Uncle Bill, you know seven's like the perfect number. He said, and there on the ground, I had seven miracles and I looked at the bullets and they had the pin. The gun worked. The bullets didn't seven times in a row. He said, my dad came in and my, so my grandpa, he came in and he's like, what, what is going on? What's happening? What's going on here? And he said, my, my uncle Bill said, I took the bullets, I threw them in the trash and all I said to him is I said, I, I can't even do this right. 
He's telling these stories of And at the age of 66, God got a hold of his life. Amen. And he couldn't stop talking about this. He couldn't stop talking about Jesus. He couldn't stop talking about how amazing this experience was. He couldn't stop talking about what God's doing in his life. This is just very, very recent. If you think you're too old, you're, too, you're, you're never too anything for God. You're never to anything for the gospel. You're never to anything for the spirit to come down and to intercede and to rescue you. And I wanna show you this, this video here of them being baptized. Bill and Sherry, today you're coming to profess your faith in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. Is that right? Yes. And today you want to say publicly, I've asked him for forgiveness of my sins. Yes. And asked him to come into my heart. Yes. Isn't that a wonderful thing to know? It's, it's yes. the most amazing thing ever. It is. Yeah, and I realize that, behold, I stand at the door and knock. If any man hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in to him and live with him I'm and he with me. It is. I'm to open the door. It is. Mm. Amen. Amen. All right. Thank Let's you. Amen. Amen. Um, right. I mean, there you go. Careful. You can hang on your nose. In the name of the Father, and the Son and the Holy Spirit, we baptize you. Very And there comes the Holy Spirit in the form of a dog. Just descended right over, swam right over. Oh man. <clears throat> I'm just so grateful that God's still changing people's hearts and lives. In the gospel, the kingdom of God is alive and well. Yes. I asked our staff um, to send some pictures of their baptisms. And this first one is, is Jesse um, right after youth camp. And he turned his heart and his life over to, to Jesus. This, and, and, and he was baptized. What lake was that? in Hastings, a lake in Hastings. Yeah, look at that. This one, 2014, our lead pastor, some of you weren't around here at Impact at that time. Our lead pastor, Jason, was like, I, you know what, I thought back, I was baptized as a, like, as a child, but I don't really remember it very well, and I wanna make this decision for myself. Some of you were baptized as an infant, and then what your, and I just want you to hear this, what your parents did for you was beautiful. Okay? If you choose to be rebaptized, it's not like you're undoing or you're going against everything that your parents set up for you. It's you saying, I want to declare publicly as an adult that I believe and follow Jesus. I'm not undoing all of my foundation. I'm not against that. Amen. Jason had this moment in 2014. And so he was baptized at the lake with I think 40, 50 other people at our church. Heidi spoke words of truth over him. It was beautiful. Look at Ryan with hair. That right there. Does anyone miss Ryan? I miss, even watching these baptism videos. This is Jason, that same baptism service, Jason baptizing Ryder, who looks like Jesus. Do you remember when Ryder looked like Jesus? The long hair, the beard. Dan Boone, who's at Man Camp this weekend. 
That was 2015. Ben Jagger, who's leading in our student ministries right down here in 2018. And then pointing people out for hugs. Yeah. Baptisms at the lake. Church, this could be your next step in your faith. They're coming up on August 20th. We have a baptism class that's happening right now. We have one next week. We have one the week after. This is for us to hear your story. I love baptism class for hearing stories. I hear, I'm telling you, we hear stories of people being freed from addictions. We hear, we hear stories of people just being freed from a stupor of like, I think I'm probably good enough. I, it's, I've, I've always had everything together. I don't really have an amazing like story. Yeah, you do. God has saved you too. He saved you too. Baptism classes. We have kid zone classes, baptism classes as well. Um, They're going to be on August 20th, baptisms at the lake. Get that on your calendar, church, to attend, to love on people in our our church. Um, And this could be your step, your next step in your faith. So God, today... Thank you for Jesus' baptism. Thank you, Jesus, that you went first. Jesus, that you took part in this baptism of renewal, of a new covenant, of repentance, of identifying with Jesus in his life, in his death, in his burial, in his resurrection. God, thank you that this is just a beautiful and sacred outward expression of an inward reality of what we have with you. God, thank you for your grace to us. I pray for those who might be considering this as their next step in faith. I pray you'd give them the courage to step forward, to do it, to make this public declaration in their faith. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Hey, if you need to come forward to pray, we've got a prayer team up here. um, And at this time, you're dismissed, commissioned to go. We'll see you next week.